Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We'll one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hello and welcome to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett, and today my guest is Ed Smith from Chero Furniture. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that'd be great. Sure. So my name is Ed Smith. I am the uh, president and founder of Chero Furniture, uh, which I started when I was 22 years old uh, in 1987 with a total of $3,000. So basically the American <laughs> dream sort of encapsulated in starting your own business. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be correct. Yeah. So... Um, so what made you want to start your own business? So I think since I was probably 10 or 12 years old, I knew I wanted to work for myself. Never radar. The, the furniture business was just not even on the radar. But I was actually on the road um, as a business broker. I was about 19, 20 years old, and I needed to supplement my income. Mm-hmm. So I went to work for another furniture store. And uh, I was actually delivering and repairing and upholstering. And I learned the back end of the business, and I really liked it, and I saw that there was a potential there. So Interesting. Um, they actually ended up going out of business, which was fantastic for me because uh, I just found an empty building and, well, built Charaho Furniture. Yeah, that's great because, I mean, I've driven past, I've driven past it a gazillion times. Yeah. Um, so, but, so when you started your own business, did you have, like, any inspirations? No. No. As a matter of fact, knowing what I know now, I probably would have never tried it. I mean, it was so undercapitalized. I knew knew nothing about business. I knew very little about furniture. I mean, I I knew how to get a sofa in a doorway, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know know, running the business aspect of it. So I truly have been self-taught. Yeah. So when you were uh, a kid, did you ever think that you'd have your own business? I did, but I actually went to high school and vocational school to be a mechanic. Okay. So uh, it's kind of a quite quite a 180 to be running a furniture store. I thought I'd work for myself as a mechanic. Yeah, I did. Re- I read a couple articles on you, and I and I saw that. Yeah. That's interesting. So you, so you didn't go to college? Did not. Okay. So you just but you went to like a Votech school after? Correct. Okay. So that's that's cool. I mean, college is a very touchy subject for people. You have a lot of billionaires saying that you don't need it, and then a lot of people saying that you do need it. And I guess it all depends on the person. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, what's funny is, is I have a daughter who is uh, in the business with me, and she, I, I made her go to college. I mean, she wanted to join the business probably in her sophomore or junior year. Yeah. And I said, you absolutely can come join the business as soon as you have a degree in college. So huh. I, I think it is very important. I think it gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, people have told me that you know, if I had more confidence, they'd hate me. So uh, I guess I didn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's very interesting because as somebody who's going to college right now, I'm going to CCRI, I just, I was going for engineering and I actually just switched my major to business. I mean, because the main reason why people get a degree is to use it within the professional atmosphere in the corporate world because you need a degree to get started. But for me, as somebody who wants to work for themselves for the rest of their life, I'm the only person that I have to impress, you know, when it comes to getting paid. Exactly. So, like, the only reason why I really want to get a business degree is is actually my first guest encapsulated it perfectly. It's, sure, you do learn things, but it's about who you meet and the connections you can make within a college atmosphere. Um, 
which is really interesting. So we'll see where that takes me. I, you know, I went to URI for uh, a year, but my second semester COVID started. Mm-hmm. So now I've been at CCRI ever since because I didn't want to pay full tuition for online school at URI. I'm like, screw this. Like, sure. you know, but yeah, I've been told exactly what you just said that, yeah. you know, it's about who your roommate is, who, who you make connections with uh, as much as, as what you come out there, you know, with learning. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously Chero Furniture is very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you attribute to your success? I, I would say doing things different. We, we've always done things different. I have had factory representatives actually say, you know, Ed, you should be bankrupt and homeless. Because if they tell me this is the best selling sofa, well, if everybody else is selling it, that's not the sofa I want. I want to have something that people walk in my door and see something totally different than they've seen at every other big box store. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always been about risk. And I think, you know, success in business has so much to do with tolerance for risk, not necessarily being the most intelligent person, you know, putting good people around you, but tolerance for risk. And I've always been willing to, you know, buy that crazy thing that the factory may say that doesn't sell. Well, I want it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people say you'd be better off at running a museum than a furniture store because you want to have all these cool pieces in your store. Yeah. But people come loving, like come you know, come to the store loving all these neat things that they haven't seen anywhere else. Yeah. So I guess talk about that. Uh, so in one article I did read uh, said that you sell a lot of cool stuff. You sell really cool stuff. Yes. What is the coolest piece of furniture you think you've sold? You know, we used to do a ton of business with historically correct reproductions. I actually okay. became the largest dealer for this company out of New Hampshire that built historically correct reproductions. He was commissioned by the Smithsonian Independence wow. Hall, Williamsburg. I was shipping it all over the United States. Yeah. And he had a secretary desk that was $19,000. <laughs> and I was one of maybe one or two in the entire country that would stock that piece. And again, yeah. it goes back to the risk tolerance. Everybody else would try to sell that desk out of a picture. Yeah. How do you sell an $18,000 desk out of a picture? People want to touch it, feel it, pull the drawers out, you know. So I always stocked that piece. And that was a really, really cool piece. I mean, people would tell their friends, you've got to go to Charaho Furniture to see this piece. Yeah. You know, and we only sold a couple a year, but they were $19,000 Exactly. You don't have to push a lot. Exactly. Yeah. So we do a lot of stuff like that. That's really interesting. Um, So... Um, what made you, you know, want to get into the furniture business? Was it the job you had before? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I I always wanted to work for myself. At 15 years old, I actually opened my first company and it was a, it was actually called E.P. Smith Excavating. Okay. So I bought a dump truck. I had chainsaws and I would rent or borrow backhoes, bulldozers, put in driveways and so on. And I found out it was so competitive because anybody could get into that business. Yeah. Not everybody can just open a furniture store. Yeah. There's a little more involved, you know, the inventory costs, the building sizes and costs. Again, looking back, I don't know how I did it, but, you know, I I loved the business and I I started out as a very low end store. And now, I mean, I would say we are probably the highest end store, you know, furniture store in Rhode Island. Yeah. Or one of the top one or two, no doubt. Well, it's funny that you say that because I helped this guy who has his own company. He like removes furniture from people's houses and trash and stuff or whatever um and he needed help one day so he called me i was like yeah i can help and we went to jamestown yep and it was this rich woman you know and she's like she's like yeah i'm looking for furniture i'm like 
Cheryl Furniture. That's the place to go. Absolutely. Because it was a really nice house, and I knew you guys sell really nice stuff. So I'm like, you got to go there. Um, and I, I never heard back from her. I don't have her information, but I hope she went there. But Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do an awful lot of business on, on uh, Jamestown and yeah. Newport. And, yeah. yeah, so that's great. For us. So I heard you sell Amish furniture. Tons. Yeah. Tons. So, so we actually have 34 Amish brands right now. Wow. Yeah, and there's probably hundreds of them out there. But we've been doing this for, I'm going to say, 25 years now. Wow. So we've built a lot of great relationships. I, I feel like we have the cream of the crop. We've been able to pick them because mm-hmm. we were doing this before it was a thing. I mean, right now, even the big box stores have one, two, three yeah. know, Amish companies, and they advertise it. Yeah. But they don't have the resources that we have. We, wow. we have great relationships. And you know, you come into our store, we have 50 solid wood, customizable, American-made dining room sets in our showroom. Mm-hmm. 90% of them are Amish made. Wow. So they come and deliver it on, on horseback, right? No, With a wagon. no. I haven't seen a horse in a while. <laughs> um, but my dad is from northern Maine and um, from the Patton, from Patton, Maine. And there's a lot of Amish up there. Do sure. you guys get any? We don't. No. Primarily Ohio. So, Ohio. So the largest concentration of Amish people in the country, a lot of people don't know this, is Holmes County, Ohio. Okay. Everybody thinks Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. Which we do buy some out of that, that area. But that's more touristy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the largest producers right now of hardwood furniture in the United States, Holmes County, Ohio, which it's the Amish that's doing it. Yeah. Would you say it's the best handmade furniture in well, the country? It's it's probably the best value. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I, I go back to that reproduction company that I was doing. I mean, they do some really cool hand-carved pieces and things like that, but that's not for everybody. For, for the average person who's looking for, uh, you know, heirloom quality that I'm going to have this forever and pass it on to my kids, Amish are great, great value. Yeah. I mean... I've met a couple. I mean, I don't really know any of them up in Maine where my dad's from when we visit, but it's really cool what they can do with no technology, you know, and what, where, they're, where they are, they're like no technology, even when they build. I don't know what it's like in Ohio. Yeah, I think, you know, I hate to say this, but I think people would be a little disappointed yeah. because when you, you think of Amish crafting a dresser, for example, you think of a guy in a, a barn with a saw and... You know, that's not the way There's it no is. margins in that. That's, that's not the way yeah. it is. I mean, some of these guys, I have one company, Daniel's Amish. They have 150 employees. Wow. So it's it's a Are they factory. all Amish employers? Most. Yeah. Most. Yeah, but they, they, they do have some English people that work there. Matter of fact, one of the owners of Daniel's Amish is English. Okay. Um, but we have others. You know, there's four or five guys, but they have CNC routing machines. You know, Really? Yeah, so technically, you know, their church doesn't allow them to have electricity off the grid. Mm-hmm. So they're running their equipment with air tools, and basically <laughs> everything is done with diesel generators. Yeah. So they still have electricity. Yeah. It's just they're not hooked into the grid. That's kind of that's kind of hilarious. They're firing up their CNC exactly. router with a diesel Yeah, generator. I mean, pe- people don't expect that. <laughs> you know, they, they, they really think it's that handcrafted. And, and don't get me wrong, a good piece of furniture still has handcrafted. Yeah. I mean, they still hand sand. They, you know, they rag stain. It's not like mass-produced that yeah. it's all equipment spraying the exactly. finishes and so on. So there's still a lot of handwork that goes into it. Yeah, I mean, don't think that just because somebody uses a CNC machine, it's bad furniture. Absolutely not. Because CNC technology is really cool and precise, and it's very similar to 3D printing right. and how it works. I've, I've done some CNC in the past. Actually, at Cherahoe High School, they have a CNC machine, um, and it's really cool yeah. technology. It's it's loud, though, you know, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's super loud. Well, it's loud. funny. The company that I, I mentioned that did the uh, reproductions, 
they did all the final, all the final work was done by hand. Yeah. But most of the pieces started out with a CNC machine. Yeah. And then they'd scoop the seed out of the chair by hand, you know, with planes and things like that. So there was a lot of handwork that went into after the fact. Yeah. But the blanks of wood, it was it was all done with CNC machines. That doesn't yeah. make it a bad piece of furniture. It's the end product that you, you need to be concerned with. Exactly. It's a, it's a final check, and, and, and that's that's overseen by a person and not a machine that right. makes it worth it. Um, and believe it or not, you can actually 3D print in wood. Wow. I didn't know and that. it's it's I mean they you say it's wood but it's plastic with wood particles in it right right okay and um you can sand it and it smells like wood you can finish it and it's really cool yeah. I haven't had a lot of success doing it but uh, a lot of people have like they've created like desk stuff for it and like yeah. headphone holders or things like that and it's really cool but um yeah I just it's like you have to like basically modify your printer to print in it. Mm-hmm. So like you have to have a hardened steel nozzle most of the time. They're brass nozzles, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's 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 something that not a lot of people get a lot of success with. Um, so I actually was very interested in asking you this question. So COVID obviously affected retail a lot. Mm-hmm. So how did you guys adapt and? In COVID nineteen, you know it, it's it's not funny because I know so many, so many industries, so many companies are suffering yeah. because of COVID. It was an absolute windfall for anything to do with the home. Yeah, whether you were selling furniture, swimming pools, um, appliances, people were staying home. People were fixing up their homes. Um, they weren't spending on going out to dinner. They weren't spending on vacations. Yeah. So you know we've been in business thirty four years. And in the last two years during COVID, we've doubled our volume. Wow. Wow, is right. So, you know, we, we could tell when we were shut down, you know, the state of Rhode Island required us to be shut down for about seven weeks. We could tell by the increase in the web traffic we were getting that the demand was just huge, mm. huge. And we opened our doors on May 9th of, I guess it would have been 2020. Um, we ended up having the biggest May in our history even wow. after missing nine days of sales. So people just started flooding into the store. And, and that's why the backlogs right now are so huge. You know, the labor is one thing, but consumer demand is just outstripping whatever the, the builders can build. I haven't heard that yet. That's very interesting. It's, it's unbelievable consumer demand. So yeah. you know, prior to COVID, we do 90% of our business is custom order. Yeah. We have a big warehouse. We stock a ton of furniture, but we do everything's changed. And we were quoting 60 days on most orders. Right now, we're quoting six to seven months. <laughs> and it is not slowing people down. Yeah. Well, it's like even um, I sell this product on my website called a glow frame. And even the frames for that like are severely backed up. Like what takes usually same day delivery is three weeks to a month now. Right. You know, and that's I mean, that's not in the scale that you're talking about, but it's very similar. And it's just everything is backed up and it's funny it will it's not funny i need to stop but like it's interesting because i haven't noticed that with 3d printing now like mm. like when it comes to 3d printing materials and machines like there hasn't been a backup but maybe just because it's there's not as big of a demand it's not like a necessity like it is a lot of these things that you are seeing that are shortage there's shortages for that's all necessities really so that's probably why but uh so another uh interesting question i wanted to ask you so um, there's this old saying, location, location, location. <laughs> and I've asked other business owners this. Do you think that that's still relevant in 2021? 
Not as much. Yeah. Not as much. It's funny because where I am today, um, when I opened Cheraho Furniture, this side of Route 95, so so we're probably three miles uh, to the east of, of Route 95, mm-hmm. there was no business. There was nothing. I, I was the only business. So, you know, <laughs> there was no stop and shop. There was yeah. no lumber yard. There was no, there was nothing. There was yeah. nothing. And people said, what are you doing? Well, we became a destination store. You know, so you yeah. know, we have people come to us from New York and Boston, and uh, we shipped to 14 states last year out of that store. So we're very easy to find off Route 95, but the internet has changed everything. Yeah. I don't think you need to be in an A location, you know, in Rhode Island, meaning Bald Hill Road, you know, in, in Warwick. That's an A location. I'm in a C location. So I spend a little more on advertising and my gross dollars than those guys do up there. But I'm, I'm not spending it on a mortgage or a high rent. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it can be offset more so now than, than maybe 20 or 30 years ago. So what would you say is the most effective marketing strategy for you, you know, compared to when you first started yeah. and now? Well, I mean, obviously the internet has changed so yeah. much. Um, we, we spend still a very disproportionate amount of our money on old media because we have an older clientele. You know, I still read the Providence Journal. Yeah, People look at me like I have two heads. I love <laughs> Sunday morning. I get up. I get to hold a newspaper. I love it. Yeah, And my customers do. You know, so I still buy a lot of conventional network TV, the NBCs, the ABCs, the CBSs. I still buy a lot of print ads. I mean, I buy a lot of full-page color ads in newspapers, yeah. which is a dying industry. I get it. But the people who are buying those... Yeah, you have to know your target audience. It's Charaho Furniture customers. Yeah. So, so we're slowly moving dollars each year towards online and we do all the geofencing and behavioral targeting and google adwords oh, we yeah. do all of that yeah but we still spend more on traditional media well it usually costs more doesn't it oh yeah 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 because yeah. i i spend i my business is only advertised through google ads and i'm part of bni networking and mm-hmm. things like that local word of mouth stuff but where the business really is is online you know i'm like you know i run google ads and I don't run, like, for me, it's a lot of money, but, yeah. like, you can easily spend a lot of money on it, too. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's completely customizable. If you want to spend 10 bucks a day on it, you can. If you want to spend 1000 bucks a day on it, you right. can. But, I mean, you have to be making a lot of money to be wanting to spend 1000 bucks a day on Google Ads. Right. Um, but, luckily, I have seen a re- return on investment oh, there's no through doubt. that. There's, there's no doubt. And, like I said, I know every year we're, we're pulling a little bit out of, you know, ROP and newspapers. We're pulling a little bit out of traditional radio. We're pulling a little bit out of um, cable or, or network television. Yeah. And we keep beefing up our internet. But I'm not ready to abandon that yeah, customer 50 to 75 years old that's still coming in. And they're, they're buying our tables and chairs for $10,000 or yeah. our bedroom set for $12,000. Th- those, are, those are my customers. And uh, it's really interesting because... I'm. I wouldn't say that this is a retail location right now. So we're filming at my office, Custom 3D headquarters, and uh, I had somebody just walk in here the other day for the first time. And my direct my address is on Google or whatever, and it was kind of weird because I, I most people just send me an email or call me, mm-hmm. you know. But those people still exist that want to come in and talk to you, absolutely, because they're going to spend a lot of money with you sometimes. Yeah. You know, and they and it's a lot easier to spend that money when you know the person you're spending it with, and uh, that's why I, I like. I, that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I have a YouTube channel where I talk about my business a lot because people appreciate transparency in business. Yep. You know, and it makes it easier to to spend a lot of money. 
Sure. Um, so, um, let's see here. What do I got going on? Um, I'll just cut this out. Just trying to find another question here. Oh, okay. So, what was the um, the most the uh, most difficult thing to get over when you first started? Like, what was the biggest hurdle when you first started your business to get over? The biggest hurdle was probably being undercapitalized, and when you'd have to make a decision: do I pay the electric bill five days late, or do I pay the the mortgage five days late. You know, th- mm-hmm. those those were the kind of decisions when you open something undercapitalized. Yeah. You know, th- there's that saying, it's always hardest to make the first million dollars. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, th- I, I mean that that is the truth. That, yeah. that, that is, that is yeah, absolutely yeah. the truth. I, I mean, y- you don't have to make those decisions once you become somewhat successful. So, you know, the last five or 10 years, we get to make crazier decisions than I've al- always made just because yeah. we have that cushion. There was no cushion in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, being undercapitalized is a tough way to start a business. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting because I've worked at a lot of different companies. I've worked at um, companies that do $30 million. I've worked at companies that do that do 15 And I've worked at a company that does like four or five. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really interesting to see the different spending habits mm-hmm. of those different sized <laughs> businesses. Yeah. You know, you have businesses that spend money, a lot of money, like an insane amount of money on pens, yes. you know, that somebody like me would not spend. Exactly. You know, they might spend more money on pens than I make in a month, <laughs> you know, yep. Yep. <laughs> which is, you know, crazy to think that. But um, it's, uh, yeah. So let's see. I got to, I didn't, I thought I thought these questions would last longer. Um, so let's see. Sorry. Um, all right. So just going to pause. Uh, just going to. All right. We'll be right back after this quick break for an advertiser. American made. All right. Cool. So um, something really interesting about you guys is is everything in your store completely American made or, or high percentage of it? So we are probably the only furniture store that I'm aware of in New England that every single piece of furniture has to be American made, customizable. Okay. If it's wood, it has to be solid wood. You know, if it's a if it's a upholstered piece, it has to be a thousand fabrics or hundreds of leathers. It has to be those three things. American made, solid wood, customizable, or yeah. it doesn't come into our store. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of a cool story. And it's funny because I see the big box stores, I see so many retailers now waving the flag, American made. You know, it's cool now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's it's think, something people can wrap their head around now. It's what we've been doing for 25 plus years. Mm-hmm. So we were way ahead of this. And most stores, you know, they, they dabble in it. They'll have three, four, five Amish lines and, you know, 10 from China and 10 from Vietnam. We won't take any of that in. So we are 100%, and I think that makes us so unique. And, and I and I believe in it. I mean, I truly, it's not only marketing, I truly believe in it. I mean, I think it's good for, you know, our economy. I think it's mm-hmm. good for our environment. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not. Definitely. Yeah, I, it's good for our environment. You know, it, it's good for so many reasons to buy American if you possibly can. And, yeah. you know, once in a while, I will have to buy a lamp or a tabletop accessory because I just can't find that in the United States. But if it's bedroom, living room, dining room, home office, whatever, it, it's it's American made, and would, we're the only ones doing that. 
would you say that's the biggest thing that differentiates you from other furniture stores? I do. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I think, uh, you know, when people go to these other stores that are advertising, we have American-made bedrooms, and they go in, there's 40 bedrooms on display, and three or four of them are, are American-made. Mm-hmm. I think that gets people discouraged. They come in, and like I said before, you know, there's 50-plus dining rooms on our floor. Not one of them is made anywhere. Anyway, we, we actually don't even do just North American in, in that there's some great lines in Canada. You know, there's furniture being made in Mexico. No, it's got to be United States of America or it doesn't come into our store. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a cool story. Yeah, I mean, so like the furniture business is very competitive. Mm-hmm. So how do you compete from a marketing standpoint and from, you know, the furniture standpoint? Would it would it be that American made? I think that's a huge part of it. Still? It's yeah. a huge part of it. I, I mean, being locally family owned, people like that. Yeah. Every designer that works on my floor, every salesperson is a designer that can come out to your home and help you with, you know, room layouts, colors yeah. and things like that. So, you know, we have a, a very sophisticated clientele and they expect the level of service that, that we give, you know, our drivers, our, our delivery people, they work for us. So, you know, they're on the Charaho Furniture payroll. Mm-hmm. We don't source any of that unless it's going to Naples, Florida. You know, we, yeah, we'll source yeah. that. But if it's going to be within four hours of our store, you're going to have two guys carry it into your home, set it up where you want it. They, they, don't, they don't bang the walls. They, you know, they have to come and answer to Ed Smith. Yeah. Whereas if we were sourcing that out, like all of, the big box stores do. They have a company that does it for them with their name on the side of the truck. Uh, the level of service is just not what we can provide. Yeah. So that separates us quite a bit as well. That's huge. I mean, a lot of times, like, I mean, just my business is all from email and phone or whatever. And just when, when it comes to furniture, I guess people still want to have that person-to-person experience. They do. And, you know, yeah. it's funny. We were talking about marketing. And, and, like, our website, you can't buy a piece of furniture on our website. Yeah. There's no price for a piece of furniture on our website. And people say, well, why is that? You know, well, that's because I'll have one Amish guy who has two million possible table combinations. By the time you pick your wood, you pick your shape, you pick your size, you pick your edge, you pick your leg, you pick your finish. Mm -hmm. So there's no, more times than not, when we sell something, a bedroom, a dining room, we'll never sell that exact same configuration again. It's a one of a kind. So you you can't sell that on the internet. And that's why, you know, we still do our traditional advertising because to buy what we sell, you're not going to buy a $4,000 leather sofa over the internet. Yeah. It's not. You, you've got to come in and feel the quality of the hide. You've got to sit in the piece of furniture. You've got to see how perfectly tailored it is. You know, if you're buying a five ninety nine sofa, yeah, I, maybe I'd risk it on, online. You're yeah. Not, you're not going to buy my furniture on, online, mm-hmm. sight unseen. You're just not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge to say that because – almost every business you can buy something on their website and online (laughs) and yeah i mean you got to stick to your guns you know i love this song um you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything and i think that's like aaron tippin yeah country song yes yeah that that's not the name of the song is it the name of the song i don't don't know if that's the name no but i've heard it but that's a good song and i like to think of that a lot so i guess i'll ask the last question here and i ask this to every single guest you could leave one piece of advice to the listener what would that be regarding starting a business it could be business life anything i've lived since 12 years old with a saying our doubts are traitors which make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt wow 
That's pretty good. That one's that one's going on. That, on that sums up my business. Yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, I mean, awesome uh, having you on. I really appreciate you taking time Thanks. out of your busy day, and um, hopefully, maybe we can have you on again in the future. Good. You know, once I grow and get more people on the podcast and maybe some sponsors yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah thanks for coming on thanks for having and, me uh so guys if you're listening uh and if you want me to ask any other business owner any other questions email me at knowledge is power ri at gmail.com and i just made an instagram so if you want to follow knowledge is power underscore ri on instagram that'd be great as well uh so thanks for stopping by everybody and i'll catch you in the next one